0: You guys, want to hear from the Word of God? I'm expecting that God's going to speak to us, and I want to be changed by it. Anybody else in that boat? Cool. We're going to uh, start off right with a um, right out of the Bible. Let's do that. Actually, let's announce this new series we're doing. How's that sound? So we are doing a new series. We're starting this morning called Spirit of Jesus. Spirit of Jesus. And uh, I, I mentioned during Give and Take how encouraging it was for Salt Lake City to say when they see any and Canine what's they think about Jesus. And uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that when we started out the year 2018, we had spent time asking God, Lord, would you give us some sort of direction, some sort of specific word that we can kind of really focus on and aim at this year? Obviously, we've got the Bible. We want to follow God. We want to do all of those things. But is there anything specific that you're speaking for us to focus on this year? And we felt really clearly this phrase, Jesus people. Sounds so simple, and of course you say that in church. Uh, but it was big for us to be, to say, okay, what? If, we felt like this was this invitation from God to say, what if you took this next year and and focus on this question, like, do you really believe that just Jesus is enough? And what would it look like to be individuals or a body of people that when people see us or think about us or we interact with them, they walk away and they just simply think, those are Jesus people. Not, not defined by a political, uh, political ideology or personal preferences or something like that, but like really, genuinely, just Jesus. And I'm encouraged at Salt Lake City when they look at us, they say, yeah, it's working. Amen. And if we want to be uh, Jesus' people, we need the spirit of Jesus inside of us. And I'm excited to take the next couple of weeks talking about the spirit of Jesus. I have you open up to Luke chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses here. Uh, Jesus is beginning his ministry. And he starts off here in chapter, or verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. and We start to pick up on basically Jesus' first action as like being out in public, making the announcement, I'm the savior of the world and I'm here to help. Superman coming out of the phone booth is what we're looking at right here, ish, kind of. Did that offend somebody? I don't know. <laughs> Verse 16, Luke chapter 4, as he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, oh, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. woo Everybody feel that? If you don't, it's OK. But man, this feels important, like an important moment, doesn't it? Jesus, like I said, he's at the beginning of his ministry, and this is his grand announcement to become public. He says he's in Nazareth where he grew up. People knew him, they knew him as a carpenter's son, but this was the day where Jesus stands up and says, "I'm more than a carpenter." I am here, I love you, I'm the savior of the world, the Messiah, the king of the universe, and I'm here to set the nations free, is what he's saying, and, and, and to make this announcement to explain what sets him apart from maybe other carpenter's sons, to what sets him apart from people that, who have been raised up or led in the past, to make him qualified to be who he says he is and do what he is about to do, he says, here's, here's the qualification. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He he's anointed me to do these things, to proclaim freedom, to set liberty for the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is his announcement. Starts off saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. If you read the rest of uh, the life of Jesus, if you look through more of the Bible and you read, what did Jesus do? What did he talk about? you will begin to see, especially towards the end of his ministry, as he gets closer to his crucifixion, as he is raised from the dead and gets closer to ascending to be with the Father, as he gets closer to the time where his time on earth and his ministry is ending, he begins talking more and more about this Holy Spirit. He mentions the Spirit of God in the beginning, and towards the end, he starts talking more and more about this this Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. And as you look in between from Luke 4, to the end of his life in ministry, what we see is not just a life well led or a man who was a quality teacher or a moral, ex- morally excellent man. We see what is possible when a human life is fully surrendered to the Spirit of the Lord. We see him healing, setting people free, proclaiming this good news of the kingdom and he makes others great. Amen. This is who he is. And again, as, we, as he gets closer to his death and his resurrection, and then after his resurrection, as he's appearing to his followers, he's finalizing his teaching, right? I mean, like, he, like history has been building up to this point where God takes on flesh to redeem all of humanity, and then that moment ends. Like Jesus isn't here in the flesh anymore. Like that's a big transition, right? Like all this buildup, and then now the next thing. And as we come to this point where Jesus is spending his final moments with his disciples and he's about to send them out to carry this good news to the whole world and like launch the church that's going to last for all of history which is why we're here today. I mean these are big moments, right? These aren't just stories of old. These are these are big big moments. They're going to launch the body of Christ And he starts talking more and more about the Holy Spirit. Not just talking about the Holy Spirit, but saying, not only is the Spirit of the Lord on me, but he begins to make these promises, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will be covered in the Holy Spirit. He says this phrase, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That word baptized, it it, it means immersed, covered in, dripping with, soaked by, consumed in. Jesus is saying, "This Spirit of the Lord that's upon me will, will come upon you, will fill you, will cover you, will immerse you." I don't know where you're coming from this morning with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, or just why you're even here at church this morning. I know that if you just get a few people in the room, you have more than a few backgrounds present. Anybody ever noticed that about us humans? We have some complicated stories, and we come from different angles. I don't know about you, I grew up in church, I grew up in a Christian school, I grew up with parents that loved Jesus environments that were, I was in church all the time, but when it came to the Holy Spirit, I never really heard much about the Holy Spirit. I had heard that there was this thing about God called the Trinity, this complicated deal of like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I heard a lot about the Father, I heard a lot about Jesus, but not so much about the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if that's a similar background to you, if you've grown up in church uh, I think I've talked over the years with a lot of people where kind of our experience with the Holy Spirit is that, like, he's sort of the awkward stepchild of the Trinity. And, like, he's, like, mis- mystical and a little weird. And so, like, we love the Holy Spirit. We just keep him in the corner because <laughs> we never know what's going to happen if you, like, let him out of the bag, right? And, like, and, and, and some of you, you know, whatever. That, that is what it is. Some of you are, come from some church backgrounds where uh, the Holy Spirit was kind of this leveraging point for manipulation or like just to be weird to be weird or like qualify and classify who's super spiritual and who's not i know there's there's different people with kind of different hurt or pain or or just bad experiences when it comes to talking about the holy spirit some people maybe you're in this room and you just have never really been in church before around the bible and you're kind of like what's with all the baggage (laughs) you know (laughs) if it's in the bible why don't we just talk about it i thought that's what christians did that's a great point by the way and i i think that we could learn something from that or maybe maybe you come from a background that's really healthy and and you have been in a lot of environments where you have been raised up and experienced the power of the holy spirit in a really healthy way and you know you know the holy spirit like you would know jesus and and that's really awesome and and i'm i'm thankful i'm thankful for that i don't know where you're coming from this morning but i want us to talk about this and kind of have a same starting point of, let's just, let's just go to the Bible and let's talk about this for a couple of weeks. Because like I said, we want to be Jesus people. I want to be a Jesus guy. And so that means like, I want to look at who Jesus was, what he did, and what he promised. And, and, and it's just true that if I want to be a Jesus guy, if we want to be Jesus people, we've got to have the spirit of Jesus. If Jesus made such a big deal about us being filled with his spirit, then let's make a big deal about being filled with his spirit. Amen? The good news about all of this is that it's not out there, ethereal, unattainable sorts of things. Jesus didn't just say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means that Jesus has given us this promise. And how many of you know, Jesus is good at keeping his promises? Acts 1, if you want to flip around with me a little bit today, you can do that. Also, verses will be on the screen, as usual. Acts chapter 1, we have our last recorded conversation of Jesus with his disciples. And so you would would rightly imagine that this is an important conversation, that Jesus needs to make. One final point to summarize everything he's been about, everything he's been preparing them for as they get sent out. And in Acts 1, verse 4, it says this, and while staying with them, his disciples, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Touch your neighbor and say, the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father, which Jesus had said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will, there's this promise, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. They're asking him a question about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is essentially saying, That's not the question you need to be asking right now, because that's not an answer for you to have. But here is the question you should have asked and the answer that you do need. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) He says let's go back to this Holy Spirit baptism thing. What you should be asking is what's going to happen when how uh, what's going to happen when I'm baptized with this Holy Spirit you speak of. He says but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus in his final conversation his final instruction to his followers, don't go anywhere. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Inferring that they had not yet received the promise of the Father. That's why I would assume Jesus is saying, wait. What is Jesus saying? What does Jesus want them to know? What does Jesus want you to know this morning by saying, I want you to wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Here's what I think I want Jesus, I think, here's what I think Jesus wants you to know this morning. That the promise of the Father, the promise of God to you and to the nations of the earth, is not only that he would send his son to forgive you, but also that he would send his spirit to fill you. This is good news. The promise of the Father is not just that he would send his son to forgive you, but that he will send his spirit to fill you. And I need to be filled. I need to be filled. So there's a really good question to ask. In all of this, as we get going, as we kick off, there's a couple of questions that I think we ought to start with and try to cover this morning. Starting with, who is this Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? I want to tell you this morning, that this isn't some New Testament construct. This isn't some charismatic preference in talking about the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you just a little bit about who is the Holy Spirit as he would introduce himself to us through his word. In Genesis chapter 1, he is hovering over the waters of the deep, pregnant with all of creation. In Exodus 3, he is the burning bush. In in Exodus 13, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Leviticus chapter 9, the Holy Spirit is supernatural fire from heaven that falls on the altar. In Numbers 9, he is the cloud of the presence over the tabernacle. In Deuteronomy 10, he is the circumciser of the heart. In Joshua, he is the counselor to the Lord's army. In Judges, he is the power behind the judges to bring his people back to God. In Ruth, he is her sustenance that allows her relationship with her Redeemer. In Samuel, he is the voice of God to his people. In Kings and Chronicles, he is the mantle of the prophets. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is our restorer. In Esther, he is our advocate. In Job, he is our upholder. In Psalm 18, he is our rescuer. And In Psalm 23, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs, he is our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our purpose. In Song of Solomon, he is our intimacy. In Isaiah 7, he is the revelation of God on the earth. And in Isaiah 61, like Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is our anointing. In Jeremiah 31, he is the knowledge of the Lord written on our hearts. In Lamentations 3, he is our new mercies every day. In Ezekiel 37, he is life in our dry bones. In Daniel 3, he is the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he is our purity. In Joel 2, he is the very outpouring of God on the nations of the earth. In Amos, he bears up under our burdens. In Obadiah, he is our inheritance of the kingdom of God. In Jonah chapter 4, he is the shade tree of, of compassion. And Amicah, he is the one who declares the coming Savior. And Nahum, he is slow to anger, and he is great in power. And Habakkuk, he is our righteousness and our faith. In Zephaniah 3, he is in our midst. He is mighty to save, and he is rejoicing over us with gladness. He is quieting us with his love, and he is exulting over you with loud singing. And Haggai 2, he is with us, dispelling all fear. In Zechariah 3, he is greater than our might and greater than power. He is our ability. And in Malachi 4, he is the restorer of our hearts. This is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? In Matthew, he is the revelation of the kingdom of God. In Mark, he is the power of God. In Luke, he is the burning of the hearts on the road to Emmaus. In John, he is the promised one to come. And he convicts the sinner of his sin and the saint of his righteousness. In Acts, he is the life of the church. In Romans chapter 8, he is our adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. In 1 Corinthians 12, he empowers us. In 2 Corinthians 12, he is the strength made perfect in our weakness. In Galatians 3, he is grace and our new beginning. In Ephesians, he is our unity and our offensive weapon, the sword against the devil. In Philippians, he is the power of the resurrection. In Colossians 1, he is Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Thessalonians, he is our worthiness. In Timothy, he is our authority. In Hebrews, he is our assurance and our endurance. In James, he is our integrity. In Peter, he is our holiness. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, John, he is our trustworthy spirit. In Jude, he is our perseverance and in revelation 22 he is our companion the of the bride of christ the body of christ calling out to jesus come and to whom jesus looks and replies behold i am coming soon this is the holy spirit we need to understand that this holy spirit the spirit of god he is not a theological concept He is not a denominational idea. He is not a charismatic preference. The Holy Spirit, who is he? He is God. And he is here. And he wants to fill you with himself. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of questions that come up. There's a lot of questions that come up because of backgrounds, but there's also a lot of questions that come up because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, and who fully gets that, right? (laughs) So there's a lot of questions, and I'm hoping that in our time together in the following weeks, we can engage these questions, not so that we can land on who's right and who's wrong about the Holy Spirit. Not who can have the right ideas, not, can who, not, who can, not so we can have the mental ascension to attain full understanding of the Holy Spirit. Let us not forget, He is God. <laughs> so yes, there is always a mystery. He is mysterious, but He is God and therefore we can know Him. And my hope in these weeks together is that we would be equipped. We would be equipped to know the Holy Spirit, to walk with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit to be who the Holy Spirit says who we are and do what the Holy Spirit says that we can do so that Jesus will be glorified and the world would be impacted by our lives. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of questions that I think that we need to talk about. But this morning, with a little bit of time we have left together, I want to try to engage the first two conversations that seem to come up, or first two questions that seem to come up most frequently in conversations when talking about being full of the Holy Spirit, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've been able to teach on this in so many different venues, and there just seems to be some consistent questions that come up. And those first two that consistently come up in one form or another is one, okay, how do I, like, get it? (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, okay, how, how how do I, like, do this baptism in the Holy Spirit thing. How do I do it? How do we get it? And I think that that's where so many people are. I believe that that's where so many of you are this morning because the desire of our hearts from God, our creator, being made in his image is that we would be one with God. <laughs> the cry of your heart is to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's why you're asking that question. So I want to talk about how do we, how do we, how do we get it or that or him or this what's the word we use <laughs> that's number 1 and number 2 how do i get it number 1 how, or number 1 how do i get it number, number two like then what like what happens next or how do i how do i know i got it like number 1 what are the steps i take and number 2 like how do i how am i good like how do how am i in the club and these are good questions. These are good questions. And, and I believe that they're good questions, and they're good questions asked to a good God who wants to give some good answers. may not be the exact answer you want or would prefer, or may not be in the method or language that you would exactly prefer, but I'm promising you that when God gives you an answer, it's the good answer. And so let's come around to that, right? Instead of trying to make him answer things our, way, our ways. So we're gonna be in the book of Romans now for the rest of our time. You can turn to Romans chapter eight and chapter 12. Uh, the good news is that's, they should just be one page away from each other or so. It's not complicated. Not too complicated. I want to help us get started this morning over, for our next few weeks by reading in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, as we kind of try to engage this question, how, how do I get baptized? How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? In Romans chapter 12, Verse one, the Bible says this to us, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The language that Romans 12 uses here, talking about offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, to us may mean one thing, but to the audience to to whom this was written, this culture, uh, animal sacrifices were pretty common. If you've been around church or in the Bible much, you probably have an idea that, it, like, maybe your concept of the Old Testament is, like, that's where they did animal sacrifices. And, uh, you know, that's kind of true in a lot of ways. You know, They're, as a part of the culture that the, that the Jews had with relating to God, some part of the law that God had given to his people as a way to relate to him, was this idea of offering animal sacrifices to him. These sacrifices were to cover sin because we understand from the word of God that the, the penalty of sin isn't you should do more, but more good behavior to outbalance your bad behavior. The penalty of sin is that you are far from God and the wage of that sin is death. And so God, in his mercy, from the get-go, like a few weeks ago, we talked about God steps in, he makes an animal sacrifice, and he says, I'm gonna take this blood over yours in my mercy, and so they would have this system of animal sacrifices to, uh, to, to atone for sin, but there was also other reasons for the sacrifice. Some of it was just worship, and really it's kind of all the same, to recognize, God, you are God, I am not, and, and I want to serve you with my life, and you're worth me giving my life to you. was essentially what these animal sacrifices were about, and they were a prophetic picture. They were, they were a precursor, a pointer to what was coming. So that's why Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Is because he is the culmination and the final sacrifice for our sins. Amen. But the animal sacrifices, in in a way, they're also a prophetic picture of you and of me. They're a prophetic picture of what life could look like in a picture of how we present ourselves to God. And I think that this is something that, this is the language that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. But it's all the same thing, you know? When we're talking about the love of God and the mercy of God and the presence of God, part of the invitation of salvation is to offer yourself to God. This is the act of giving our life to Jesus, of turning over our hearts to him that he would make us new and bring us back to him. In verse one of Romans chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you brothers, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He says, by the mercy of God, put yourself on the altar Offer your life to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Following Jesus is about, in so many ways, you could say living on the altar. And this is good news. What does this have to do with being filled with the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Well, the thing is, even in some of what I mentioned earlier about who is the Holy Spirit, even throughout the Old Testament, if you read through the Old Testament, there's the consistent practice of making sacrifices to God, but there's also some of these crazy stories where, where God, by, by a prophet or by, by his people, there, he, he's, he's demonstrating himself to the world to show that he is greater than everything else that we could turn from. And there are these stories where he, he encourages his people or, or his prophet or whatever to make a sacrifice to him, but don't, don't set fire to it. He says, because I'm gonna send the fire. I'm going to send the fire from heaven to demonstrate that I am present and I am powerful and I am actually God. None of these other things are. And so one thing that we learn looking through the Old Testament about how God responds to these sacrifices is that one thing we can take from God is that God is always faithful to send fire on sacrifice. Always. And God wanted his people to know this. That if you will honor me with your life, you make a way for the presence of God. I can be with you when you honor me, and I want to be with you, so, so let's do this. That's why he says, by the mercies of God, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Jesus uses this language, and, and, and at, other, at other points, there's, throughout the Gospels, there's this language. John the Baptist, he looks at Jesus when he announces his ministry. He says, there, he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and that wasn't the literal necessary saying like you're just going to like wear fire all the time what he was saying is god, he's going to baptize you in god that's who the holy spirit is he says and with fire and when john said he's going god's going jesus is going to baptize you with fire he was drawing on the imagery of the past to say you will be covered in the presence and the power of god and so how do you be filled with the holy spirit live your life on the altar If we will be faithful to offer our lives to God as a sacrifice, as an honor, as an act of worship, Lord, you are God and I give you my life. If we will get on the altar, he will be faithful to send fire. This is our act of worship. And I want to encourage all of us and encourage myself in this too. That along the way, as we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we pursue being a people filled with God, there are moments and there are moments of encounter. There are going to be times of of physical encounter or deep encounter or, or I don't even know how you say it, but just those moments where it's like, boom, that was God, you know, and God's going to shake you, and he's going to impact you. He's going to speak to you. There's going to be these moments throughout our life as we live our lives on the altar, but that's not what we're pursuing. We're not pursuing the moments, and we're not measuring by the moments. My dad did a great job preaching last week. If you were not here, go listen to it. i listened to it on Thursday. I'm pretty sure I got saved again. So good. But he was talking about spending time with Jesus every day. This is what it looks like to live on the altar. If you want to know more of what I'm talking about, just go listen to last week's sermon. Put yourself in the presence of God and he will cover you with himself. And I love my dad said, he said, I've been doing this for 35 years and some of these stories, it sounds like I just woke up one morning and all this stuff happened. And there will be those moments. But his point was, this is 35 years of being put in front of the presence of God. And I want to encourage you, give it some time. Live your life on the altar, and you will look back, and you will look up, and you will see that God is on you. God is faithful. Whether you feel it or not, see it or not, can pinpoint it or not, you will see the fruit of the fire of God in your life. Live your life on the altar if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I guess it just is worth saying, since we're usually pretty honest around here, (laughs) I'm going to say it to myself too. Like, if I'm not going to live on the altar, I can't expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes we got to be honest with ourselves, right? God, why won't you? And he's like, the invitation's right there. Am I right? Sometimes I'm like, ah, I'm not up there. <laughs> but the moment I surrender, there's Jesus. We can live our lives on the altar, and God is faithful to send fire. So that's how we are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have more questions about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to read your Bible. <laughs> it's basically what it's all about. <laughs> Next question. Okay, so I'm doing that. What does it look like? What's the fruit of this? What's the result? How do I, how do I know? How can I look at my life and say, man, that's good. I'm, being, I'm living full of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter eight. Are you there? If you're there, say I'm there. Awesome. How are we doing? Can we do another shout out while we're here at church? Just interrupt the message. We've got a hero in the room this morning, Mr. Rosta Merchant, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, there's a long story there, but he, I'm thankful for that guy. <laughs> Romans chapter eight. Are you there? Awesome. We're going to read a couple of verses here, verses one through. Eight. Did I give you eight or seven, guys? Seven. We'll do seven. Romans chapter eight, one through seven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Everybody said, that's me. <laughs> who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, here we go. Here's this transition. We're about to get really good. <laughs> this is what it looks like to live a life full of the Holy Spirit. This is how you know. This is our measuring stick, you could say. But those who live according to, well, where we go? End of verse four. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Here's the explanation. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Is that radically simple to anybody else? Okay, that's awesome. Well, what does that look like? Okay, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When God is explaining to us in these verses what does life look like lived by the Spirit, he puts two things in contrast. He puts two things in contrast, the flesh of man and the Spirit of God. He says, here's the contrast. You can walk by the flesh of man or you can walk by the Spirit of God. And that sounds great. Like we said, that sounds radically simple. It's, it's like, it's right there. Do you ever read the Bible and realize, like, has it really been there the whole time? <laughs> so it's right there, but so often... When we talk about and we think about living life full of the Holy Spirit, what we can do in studying the contrast is we replace the flesh of man with the mind of man. And we say that the contrast is not between the flesh of man and the Spirit of God, but the mind of man and the Spirit of God. In other words, it's easy, and I know there's so many people in an environment where it's like, if you want to walk by the Spirit, just like throw your brain out the window and let's roll. (laughs) (laughs) And rightfully so, a lot of people are like, This is weird. I'm out. Right? But that is not what he says. He he doesn't put the mind at odds with the Spirit of God. He puts your flesh at odds with the Spirit of God. And when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, too often we can get talking about being validated by some sort of feeling or experience. And there are feelings and there are experiences that come with encountering God. But this is not, our like I was saying, our measuring stick, our validation point. Is anybody else getting set free this morning? Okay. So like I said, I absolutely believe that there are moments of encounter where where, where God does something and it's like, boom, wow, that's amazing. And those are important and those are possible moments. And I love those moments. I've had those moments. I want more of them that are bigger than I've ever had. Amen? I want it. But that's not how we measure life in the Holy Spirit. Just because you can... Get up and do something and say that was the Holy Spirit. That is not the evidence of the life full of the Holy Spirit. God may use those things, but it is not simply the evidence of them. And I think that in talking about this, the reason I'm bringing this up is that I I really, I've never talked about this before in talking about being full of the Holy Spirit, but I just really felt like God was on this this morning because I think that there's some small perspectives and some narrow expectations that come along with that misunderstanding that are costing us that limit how much of God we can know because our expectation is too narrow and our perspective is too limited. When we just look for moments and experiences and feelings, we're missing out. There's more. There's more. Too often we've tried to throw away our minds and just embrace our feelings and call it the Spirit of God. And when we do so, these are why these are problems. And and I really believe that as I'm talking, some of you are gonna be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was like allowed to be here for this talk. Because you've always felt like you've been pushed to the outside about this kind of stuff. When, When we talk about the spirit of God throwing away our minds and just being about our feelings and measuring by our feelings, when we do that, we alienate big segments of the human population. And we begin to measure ourselves and one another by the wrong measuring stick. When we talk about living full of the Holy Spirit as if it means that we throw out our minds, we measure what God is doing by what our feelings are telling us. And that's no bueno. (laughs) That's not a good thing. Like, if you've ever tried to live your life just measured by your feelings, like, mayday. (laughs) Hello, roller coaster. Here we go, right? We measure what God's doing by by our feelings, by what our feelings tell us, and... So we're missing out on what God is doing, but we're also alienating people who aren't feelers, right? Who aren't like the feeler type because they get the message that if you don't feel it, you're not that spiritual. And so then in a lot of people's minds, it's like, okay, we can talk about the Holy Spirit. is in the Bible and all that kind of stuff, but like I'm not really qualified because I'm not like that feely. That's sad. We alienate people who aren't feelers, and and we also, when we talk about just throwing out our minds and and living with God simply by our feelings, we, we alienate people who are smart and, like, have a value for using their brains, for understanding, and some of us, like, some of us are just, like, feelers, like, let's just ride the wave, and it's like, okay, awesome, that's great, like, there's room for that, let's do that, but let's also have some respect for people who are, like, I'd like to understand and like think about this and and have a value for like truth and evidence and all of these sorts of things, like somehow we have made walking with God about throwing away your minds and therefore we have done things like pit science against God. And so you gotta like pick one, you know? It's like if you don't feel it, you're not super spiritual and if you have to think about it, you don't have faith. Science is not against God. Science cannot replace God. It's science. Like we're talking about God. Like, Science is the exploration of God, not the explanation of God. And we need to invite our minds back into the Holy Spirit. Because what he says here in Romans chapter 8 is that walking by the Spirit is not throwing away your mind. It's taking responsibility for what your mind is set on. So walking by the Spirit is not about not thinking. It's about letting the Holy Spirit teach you how to think. And there is some stuff that is holding back the church, not because we need God to do something else, but we need to start thinking right. And we need to start setting our minds on the right thing. And we need to submit our minds to the Holy Spirit and set our minds on life and peace. We are not slaves of our minds. One of the fruits of the Spirit that we'll talk about in a couple weeks is self-control. You have control over where your mind goes by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it looks like to live full of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel like you've been kicked out of the conversation before, I'd like to invite you back in for a couple of weeks and just say, let's all level the playing field again and say, okay, I'm not disqualified because Jesus is the great qualifier. And his promise to me is that I will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, God, help me walk this one out. So, I want to hit on two things real quick. Let's see here. Why didn't the band come up? Because that'll make me end sooner than just talking for the next 30 minutes. But I want to hit on two quick things that I would like to submit to us as our response in these final moments that we have together and this week about what does it look like to walk full of the Holy Spirit, where do we need to invite the Holy Spirit to adjust our thinking? Where do we need the Holy Spirit to adjust our thinking? Come on, this is good stuff. Romans 8, verse 1. We're going to hit on two quick things. Number one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says it right there. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit, we need to, like he says, submit our minds to the Holy Spirit and believe that there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Because we've been letting our feelings dictate the truth. The Bible says there's no condemnation for me, but I feel condemned but I thought there wasn't any. Your feelings are wrong. And that's okay, because they don't control you, right? In Romans chapter 12, verse two, he continues, offer your body as a living sacrifice. And then he says this in Romans chapter 12, verse two, this is what's gonna happen. For those, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, the Holy Spirit wants to renew your mind. You've been seeing some places where you think you're condemned, and you're just not. Like, the reason we need to know who the Holy Spirit is is because he's the one who tells us who we are. If you want to know who you are, you need to start with who is the Holy Spirit. When you get to know God, you get to know you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Something else we're going to talk about in a couple weeks is that the Holy Spirit does convict us. And we do get convicted of our sin. But there's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is over you, right? Like, sorry, the jail's shut, you're condemned. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. The difference between condemnation and conviction is the presence of hope. I don't see one person write that down. There we go, we've got a couple in this section. You need to write that down because you think about this a lot. The difference between condemnation and conviction is the presence of hope. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, the reason it's not condemnation is because he's saying, hey, that's not who you are, so let's just stop and move on. (laughs) Conviction opens the door. Condemnation locks the door to freedom. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want us to invite the Holy Spirit to say, God, where am I thinking a little bit wrong and would you teach me, Holy Spirit? Show me who I am. Verse four of Romans chapter eight, he says this at the end, those who walk according to the flesh, not, not, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. For, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Life in peace. Living life full of the Holy Spirit is not determined by what you're feeling, is determined by what you're thinking. God is telling you this morning, if you wanna live full of the Holy Spirit, take control of your mind and set it on the Spirit. Whether the Holy Spirit feels near or not, He is near. Whether God, you can hear God or not, He is speaking. Whether you can see Him or not, He is moving. Again, living by faith doesn't mean you don't think. It means you think from God's perspective. We've got to let the Holy Spirit engage our moments, engage our lives, and say, God, I need you to show me life and peace in this. 1 Corinthians says that we have been given the mind of Christ. It says, who can know the mind of God? It says, "Who who can know the mind of a man except the spirit of a man? In the same way, who could know God but the spirit of God? And we have been given the spirit of God. You are welcomed into the mind of God as he looks at your life, and sees how you're, we are allowed to walk with God and ask him to teach us how to see, teach us how to think. And I just wonder what kind of steps forward could we take in the freedom that sometimes we're waiting on God to give us that maybe he already has given us. I wonder what kind of steps we could take when we're discouraged. And even, I wonder what kind of steps forward we could take as a culture and a society and as a church and as individuals and as families if we took control of our minds and we set them on the spirit. What kind of impact could this have on the way we parent, on the way that we interact with our coworkers, on our mental health in our nation? What could happen if we set our minds on the things of the spirit? Like instead, there's the contrast. We're either choosing to set our minds on death, which is why there's so much death, But we don't have to. We can set our minds on the things of the spirit of life and of peace. What could happen if we tried to demonstrate to the world what it looked like? If we took responsibility, got full of the Holy Spirit and said, we want to show you what it looks like to live with your mind on the things of life and the things of peace. And I'm not trying to oversimplify things. We need doctors full of the Holy Spirit. We need all of these sorts of things. But I'm just saying, maybe we could also start, like maybe we need all of that, but maybe we could also start with like our magazines and our movies and our TV shows and video games and our music and all of these sorts of things and kind of evaluate like maybe some of the things I'm feeling are because of, not because of the devil's attacking me, but because of what I'm setting my own mind on. And what could happen if we just said, I'm going to set my mind on the things of the Spirit? What fruit could come from our life? I'm excited. I want you to stand as we close this morning and we kick off this series together as we worship one more time. We're gonna sing a song and part of the lyrics are, you came to my rescue and we need rescuing. From death, We need rescuing from our feelings sometimes, from our emotions, from our past. And I've been praying that this week, during this series, that there would be a grace, that God would be present enough, that there would just be an opportunity and an availability to like not have to work through things that you've been scared to work through. That there would just be like grace by the power of God to let some things go. Like, that he's just gonna like show us and pull back the veil on some stuff that we've been carrying and he's just gonna show us in a moment like, okay, it was what it was. It is what it is, but we can move on. Let's focus on life. Let's focus on peace. Let's get some healing. Let's work through it if we have to, but maybe there's also some things that are just as simple as like, you know what, I'm just not gonna think about that anymore because it was what it was and that was real, but it's also over. And there is life and peace ahead of me by the Holy Spirit. So as we close in our final moments together, I want you just to invite the Holy Spirit. I want you to put your life on the altar as a living sacrifice to God. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit a couple of simple questions. Right now and this week, as you spend time with God, as you drive in your car, as you do different things, Holy Spirit, where can I give you more of my life? If I wanna be consumed with the fire of God, Lord, where am I not on the altar? Where, what am I not putting on the altar? Is it my time, my commute, my emotions, my finances? What, what is not on the altar where there's an invitation, where you will send the fire of God? Where can I give you my life? And where do I have the opportunity to set my mind on you instead of the flesh? Where am I experiencing death, not because of an attack, Not because I need breakthrough, but because I'm just choosing the flesh instead of you. Holy Spirit, would you come even in these moments, God, would you speak to us? Would you lead us into the freedom you have given us this morning? I pray that we would be a people full of the Holy Spirit. That we would walk in everything you've called us to walk in. And that we would show the world who you are by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking God right now for every mind in this room that you would give us the power to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Lord, I'm asking for more life to come from this than we can imagine. I'm asking that you would do more than we are even thinking is possible from this simple step of choosing to put our minds on you, the Spirit of life and the Spirit of peace, instead of the flesh and of death. Lord, lead us into repentance. Lead us into offering our lives because you are faithful to send fire. And so God, I'm asking in these moments, Lord, send your fire. Fill us with the presence of God. Overflow in us. Let us be a people who are marked by the Spirit of the Lord being upon us. That we would be anointed to bring freedom to the world by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the mighty name of Jesus.